0: Today, I've got Mr. Lauren in HD, Lauren Halliston. Lauren, thank you for making the time today. I really appreciate it. I know you're a very busy man about to jet set all over the globe. So firstly, thanks for being able to sit down and have a quick chat today.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: And so with that being the case, Lauren, I thought we might try and start about how you sort of got into the we'll say the sort of film stroke automotive industry where you'll play a part of, how did that all sort of kick off and come together?
1: Well, for um, a very young age, um, I was always interested in filmmaking. Uh, there was something that just looked like a lot of fun about it, you know, making movies and things like that. Um, my father actually worked in the film industry and uh, he was more along the grip and lighting department. So he would set up, sets, things like that. He uh, he worked for like an amateur wrestling TV show when he was like 20 something years old. And then he kind of just grew throughout it. So in my childhood, I kind of got to see the things he was taking part in. And uh, it, it never really, um, I guess, sank in that it could be a full time career, but it just looked like something that could be a lot of fun. And I definitely was interested in it from like the standpoint of a hobby.
0: Sure. So you decided to go with the filming aspect as opposed to stepping inside the ring. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: (laughs) And what were some of the first things that you started filming then when you started, got that itch to try and experiment and and go from there?
1: Um, Yeah, so, I mean, as a kid, uh, my parents got me like a crummy little video camera. And I never really um, knew what to film. I wasn't into acting and things like that and scripting things. So it was mostly just my friends and I kind of hanging out in the neighborhood, um, riding our bikes around, like building jumps and stuff, skateboarding, kind of just making like action videos. And then we were we were probably a little bit um, amused by some of the TV shows like Jackass and kind of got into some of that type of thing. But um, for the most part, it was just kind of filming like live action stuff as they would unfold in front of the camera. And that's kind of always how – I, my style of shooting has been, and that's basically what's uh, transcended into what I do now. And it's, it's really just filming race cars and things like that. Nothing's ever scripted. It seems like.
0: Yeah. And so when did you sort of make that switch from being like, you know, this is, I want to go from this being a hobby and having fun to kind of like, this is where I want to go to like, make this like career path. When did that sort of transition come along?
1: um i mean it it took a while it wasn't until it was basically right in front of me that i kind of realized it could happen um through high school when i was in high school i wanted to be like an airline pilot i thought it'd be fun to fly and then i got into college uh, and i started taking a lot of physics classes i was kind of good at math and those types of things and so i was pursuing like a bachelor in physics and uh I, I had a lot of friends who were into racing in the car scene uh, into drifting. Some of them started building drift cars. And so I, uh, I started just like in my off time kind of filming some videos about them, uh, drifting. And, uh, you know, before I knew it, um, they started getting sponsors and things like that. And the sponsors would come to me and say, Hey, we saw you out there with your camera. Like, could you just like sell us some footage or maybe, uh, uh, you could film a video for us, and it wasn't until then that i, I realized like oh, i I guess this could be a career you know and, and by then I mean I was probably twenty years old and uh and that that's finally when it started to sink in that it could that it could potentially be a full time thing
0: and then did you make the the switch then at school to like go from down the instead of going the physics path another path? is that what happened?
1: yeah, so um yeah, physics was getting pretty difficult. Uh, you know, in the upper levels of it. And there's lots of studying and memorization and things like that. And I thought maybe it'd be cool to switch into something. My school didn't really have filmmaking. And uh, so I I looked into graphic design because I thought that could be like a good fallback, you know, to have a degree in graphic design if the filmmaking thing didn't work out. And so I started, I started doing that, taking a lot of art classes and things and Learned a lot about, you know, process and, and how to work through ideas and things like that. And, um, probably about three or four years uh, into college, I, w- I was like getting in trouble because I would be like, I had to take some, you know, like economics classes and things like that as, as like the base credits. And my, my teacher saw me on my laptop editing a drift video and, uh, he like got after me for like watching. Drifting in class, and I was I was pretty amazed that he even knew what drifting was. He was like sixty years old, and uh, it started kind of um, becoming apparent that I wasn't going to be able to uh, be filming full time and going to school at the same time. So I I kind of made a choice to just drop out and pursue filmmaking like full time.
0: And and from there, is that sort of way you developed the moniker like Lauren and HD? Is that what that came about?
1: Yeah. So um, I was I, I pretty much born and raised in the Pacific Northwest, and I had been going to a lot of drifting events that were like pro-am level, uh, meeting other filmmakers like uh, David Soli that has the Soli life and like Abbott Wilkerson, some just like the OGs. Of like the drifting video world, uh, Justin Shreve and Joey Yala, you know those guys from Geyer, and yep. um, they all they all had like these nicknames, and I thought that was so cool. You know, AW Films and like all that stuff, and so I just I just kept thinking like I need to get a nickname, you know, because everybody would be like getting stickers, putting stickers on people's cars, and I thought that was so cool, and so I I literally like um, pulled up online just like a huge list like a dictionary of every single film term in existence and just went from like A to Z and uh, was just looking at every single possibility and, and nothing really struck me as that great and I think yep. the, most impor- the most important thing to me was that I didn't want to like typecast myself by choosing something that was too specific like uh, if it was like driftfilms.com then people immediately assume that you're only capable of filming drift drift videos yep. and so i was trying to keep it really general and the thing i noticed was everyone had their name in their you know in in their handle or their nickname and so i just kept thinking like lauren something something lauren and one day just kind of lauren nhd it was kind of the big boom of high definition cameras when the canon 5d mark ii came out and uh People were, were just uh, so obsessed with the cinematic look of that camera. And so high definition was like a big deal and uh, yeah, it kind of just stuck Lauren and HD stuck and, and people, it was easy for people to remember. And then also um, it was obviously connected to my name. So people immediately knew my first name just by seeing a Lauren in HD video.
0: Yeah. And then so speaking of that, I mean, how do you think technology's changed over that time in regards to your like starting filming and then uh as a professional one say and then where it's progressing to now? What what do you think it's the, the technology improvements in that time?
1: Yeah, so I mean I I I'll say I think I was extremely lucky in the sense that I was kind of the the birth of my filmmaking career was right at the cusp of like when filmmaking was becoming relatively affordable. You know, you could buy a a $1,000 camera and a $500 lens and make something pretty incredible out of it. Um, I know my dad's generation, they were shooting on 16 millimeter, whatever, eight millimeter film cameras. and Everything looked horrible. And then also just the uh, being able to show your videos to people across the world um, was definitely a huge change, and then as uh, as I progressed, you know, 4K k became a thing, and um, there was never really like a huge ask for 4K. And still, I have clients that don't care if things are in 4K, but it really allowed it allowed me to kind of nerd out and get like really nitpicky about things. Um, I kind of like joke that I'm a, a pixel peeper like I get really picky and I, I start obsessing like over an image, uh, the term that we used when I was in graphic design school. My, my teacher would always say, don't, don't be a pixel peeper, you know. And uh, so from, from 4K pretty quickly came 8K and uh, the red, red digital cinema is like really pushing the envelope in what's possible with resolutions and things like that. And I've never even really had clients ask for things shot in 8K, but I own an 8K camera, and it's it is fun to be able to shoot things at that high resolution because there's so much um, thing. This has so much potential to be able to punch in and reframe shots and things like that, and it just has like this wow factor. If if you're able to play back uh, like some 8K video on like a huge you know 5K monitor or whatever. Uh, it's pretty incredible, and I've I've also been able to film videos of my daughter who is two years old now uh, in 8K and kind of like future proofing it, that kind of thing. So it's been it's been kind of a fun and and difficult process to get used to, um, but I've, I've definitely enjoyed it along the along the way. Would
0: you do Would you have any suggestions then for folks that are sort of coming into or trying to break into the industry in regards to technology about how they should look at it? Do you think it's something where they should be looking to go out for things like eight k or should there be more like focusing on their their work as opposed to focusing on the technological aspects of things
1: yeah I a hundred percent agree that um they you should always uh the the story should always come first you know um there's incredible films out there that were filmed on on you know cameras that are much lesser technology. Um, the, the equipment's only going to get you so far. Sometimes it, it helps you get your foot in the door, but um, the end product is really always going to come down to who's behind the camera and, and story and that kind of thing. Um, I don't think anyone ever, for the, for a while now, I don't think anyone's going to need to worry about 8K too much. That's something that's a little unattainable for many people, but um, 4K is nice. There's There's more you can kind of play with and, and there's there's even more things like bit rates and color depth that kind of thing that are actually even more important than than 4K because they they allow your image to to be changed more. Um, but I think yeah, the story always comes first and and just the perspective of everything.
0: Yeah, I mean I will say obviously from my non-professional experience, but having a home 4K TV, it is very nice when you see the videos in the 4K and the quality. And as you say the the depth of things that they can able to put uh, the people like yourselves are able to pull from these things is quite amazing. It's really incredible.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I enjoy it. Um, I only have a 4k TV in my office and um, I mean, I wouldn't mind having more, but you know, some of these LCD TVs, they, they last forever, but um, the real, the really the only reason is because in my office, it's, it's a lot closer to my couch than any of the other TVs in my house. And so there's, there is actually a ratio of like distance to resolution. Uh, if you have an 8K TV, that you, people you can actually buy an 8K TV now. Um, you you really only need it if it's a huge TV and you're standing pretty close to it. Is really the only uh, time you're going to be able to tell the difference, you know?
0: Yeah, and then obviously there's a significant price point I think between the two. The the if you will get a similar 4K to an 8K TV at this point. I mean I think there's still a there's that like price difference, right? Where you're like, I don't think it's the one for me yet.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, uh, it's, it's funny how the, the, um, TV market has been able to stay relevant, even though I think technology has maybe slowed a little bit in the last year or two, because there's, there's just nothing else for them to do. Uh, Like what other options are there? It's like the cell phones of today. I think they're just really scraping the bottom of a barrel to, think of something new that no one no one's asked for yet because in the beginning there was so many asks you know like oh can my my tv do this and that can it have wi-fi and now just like that's it's so standard
0: yeah uh, it's it's funny when you can think you can buy a 4k tv that connects to wi-fi and obviously has all the apps for like sub 400 dollars for a reasonable like a 65 inch say give or take on a special
1: yeah yeah exactly and then you gotta you gotta pay for like the more expensive Netflix so that you can watch four k netflix but then on the on the back side they're they're down sampling things so terribly even though it's four k it's like very low bit rate and if you if you pause the movie, you can see like all these artifacts and everything um <laughs> even though it's four k and it it goes unnoticed for the most part but uh sometimes I, I I see stuff like that and I'm just like, ah, it makes sense to me because there's no way I'd want to download like a, a pro 4k video just to watch, you know, it'd be like 20 or, or 30 gigs.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It seems to be much, but I guess when you're a perfectionist like yourself, this is when you notice these things.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I, I, the, the, um, the size of hard drives and things has had to make a major advancement. I remember um, going to f d Irwindale and shooting like all weekend and coming back with like a hundred gigs of footage and just being like, wow, that was awesome! Like got so much footage and now you know I'll, I'll come home and then it'll be like a terabyte or two terabytes and it's just like, well, that's life. You know, you gotta keep buying hard drives.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say it must be like you, you're racking up the hard drives. It's funny how you seem to sort of collect them these days as they get bigger and bigger and you fill them up with more and more stuff.
1: Yep, yep, for sure. I think the day that you can buy like
0: a one hundred terabyte solid state
1: for like a hundred bucks, then I'll I'll finally be happy. But I think we're still a few years from that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think so. At this point, yeah, I think we're still a few years from that. But then also on the sort of staying on that path. I mean, with the rise of social media, um, has that changed the way that, for example, you create? Whereas obviously you've got these things now where people are consuming so much media on their phones, which while it is a such a tiny screen, as you say, that the companies are trying to push as the max resolutions as they can out of it, and then not only is the size the difference, they've also got where I guess like the thirty seconds and one minute videos are becoming more prominent now, especially on platforms like Instagram. Does that change the way that you sort of film and and requests come in for your clients?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, um, In the beginning, you know, there was a lot of people kind of fighting the phone videos and things like that some of the diehard filmmakers are were upset about people filming things vertically you know for their snapchat or their instagram stories and uh, you kind of have to embrace it though you know it's it, it does it does uh definitely hark back to uh, the idea of the the story being the most important um because at that point the resolution or and the the look of the film doesn't really matter but um i've definitely had a a huge change of of requests from clients, and easily in the last four or five years, where they're asking for, you know, we need a we need a vertical story cut, we need a 60 second Instagram cut, it has to be 59 seconds, and then and then that kind of thing. And before too, like Facebook didn't support 4K, and they, they wanted like a 4K YouTube version and a 1080p Facebook version, and and it just gets pretty crazy and especially too with, um, with the Instagram stories, it's actually pretty difficult to, uh, shoot something landscape and then convert it into like a portrait mode video because just so much of the content gets cut out, uh, from the sides of the video that, uh, you feel like you're missing out on a lot. Um, cause it's, it's not really the way you know that I shot it. <laughs> if, uh, if it was going straight to, uh, to a story, then I would probably have shot it in portrait mode, but, um, sometimes it's kind of a shame because I, I feel like we're just cutting the, the crap out of the videos to make it fit on the phone screens.
0: Yeah. And I guess also probably, I have a feeling you'll be filming something and then you'll probably get the ask after the fact sometimes where it comes back and you said, well, it would have been, would it be nice to have known this beforehand? Maybe.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I've even made that mistake myself before. Um, Somebody asked, actually, it was actually Toyota. They had me shoot the Supra when the Supra first came out. And they were like, hey, we're, this is going to be on Instagram. It's going to be a four by five aspect ratio. And I was like, okay, cool. Sounds good. And I kind of like wasn't paying attention to what a four by five aspect ratio was. And so I shot the whole thing 16 by nine. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll crop it. You know, That way we at least have the archived footage like in a normal resolution. And I got back to my computer and built like a four to five a ratio timeline. And I went, Oh man, that's, that's pretty tall. You know, it's not, it's not a very wide aspect. And I was sweating a little bit trying to make sure everything looked good in that aspect ratio. And I kind of was kicking myself for not paying more attention.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I can imagine. uh, Yeah. And obviously working on, I mean, I'm guessing you're you're doing most of your work freelance. Would that be correct?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Everything's pretty much freelance. I mean, I have probably like five, clients that i shoot for a lot you know and then every once in a while a couple of random ones pop up and get to do something different but um yeah it's all it's all basically just uh someone someone usually calls me and says they need need me to come shoot or edit something and just hop on a plane and
0: go do it well i guess uh hopefully we can all jack hop on planes again when it's nice and straightforward right to make it a little easier are you having no problems hopping on planes at this point in time
1: No, everything has been pretty chill. Um, It's a little scary, you know, I'll admit. Um, In the beginning uh, of the pandemic, everything was really crazy for, like, the first two months, like, April and May, and then um, there was, like, a giant, like, influx of people asking for footage because everyone had pretty much taken, like, a couple months off from doing doing any productions and kind of just had to adapt to it, you know, and um, wearing a mask and things isn't, isn't too bad. Um, You know, sanitizing constantly, but uh, I would say within a few months, everything kind of just felt normal. It was just a couple of new add-ons that you had to be careful of.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And then if we look back where you sort of started, I mean, I think was the formula drift then sort of the first series that you like moved up sort of cover professionally, would you say?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I was filming all the videos, um, like, up in the Northwest at at Evergreen Drift in in Seattle, and um, a lot of the guys out there, like Abbott Wilkerson and Soli, uh, those guys were like, oh, yeah, I can't wait for the Formula Drift season to start, blah, blah, blah. You know, Abbott's like, my my older brother, Walker Wilkerson, is going to be competing at, at the pro level, and I'm like, oh, that's so cool. Like, you get to go follow him, like, all over the U.S., and the fd thing and i was like just thinking to myself i was like man i need to do that and like long beach came around and i had had no way of getting there and i remember i was like sitting on the couch watching formula d atlanta and i was just like man i I need to figure something out i need to make it down there somehow you know like this is my calling and um i kind of kind of forgot about it for a few months and then a uh, a website called Canabeat.com. they're kind of like a hella flush style, like fat style website that focused on car culture, they, yep. uh, they hit me up and, and they said, uh, they said, Hey man, we saw, we saw one of your videos, um, uh, from, from PGP, you know, a go-kart track where there were some guys drifting and we loved it. Like we're a, we're a sponsor of formula D. Would you go out there and, um, film formula D, uh, you're, you're close to Seattle. Cause there's a formula D event in Seattle and it just came like perfect timing it was a few weeks before and it wasn't even really um a money thing of traveling you know like of course you can always like save up the money to get out out there it was more of like fd is pretty strict about who they allow to be media if you don't have a backing of some sort to prove that you're worthy there's not really any way of getting a media pass at formula d and you can't even just show them like a video and, and have them go, Oh, that was cool. Come on out. You you kind of have to have like a following or a website that, that has some traction for them to accept you. So once I had that backing from can I I was able to uh, get a media pass and attend Seattle. And then I went to uh, the Vegas round and then Irwindale. So I finished off the last three rounds and that was in 2011, I think. So, um, then 10 years now.
0: Yeah. And then, so what are some of the other events that you've sort of covered in though, in your time in those last 10 years, aside from formula drift?
1: Um, let's see, there's been a lot of, I mean, all, of course it's all automotive. Um, I've been able to go to some cool time attack stuff. Uh, just some races in general. I've done some insa things like the, uh, Let's see, I think there was a 12-hour race that I did in Atlanta pretty recently. Um, actually, one of one of the races I'll always remember that was really early in my career was 25 hours of Thunder Hill that I did with GT Channel. And that was insanely grueling, you know, shooting all day, all night. I remember the, the producer told me to take a nap when it was like 3 in the morning. So I slept for a few hours, and it was freezing cold down there. Uh, in the middle of the winter, uh, and then kept shooting the next day, and uh, that was that was pretty entertaining. But um, um, I've I've been able to go to Formula One a few times now, and uh, that's that's been an extremely uh, humbling experience. Getting to go out there, it's been a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, I mean it's it's all just been types of racing like that. Uh, I've done some drag racing. Uh, I've been to NASCAR one time. Um, So, yeah, it's it's been pretty cool, all all kinds of stuff.
0: And didn't you cover the Gumball 3000 at one stage?
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, the Gumball was was insane. Um, Some friends of mine from Japan uh, reached out to me. We did some videos at Fuji Speedway with some Ferrari F40s. 20 million dollars worth of cars that we shot and they they told me hey we have the new Lexus LC500 we're going to ship it from Japan to England and then we're going to drive to uh Latvia for the Gumball 3000 I think that was in 2018 and um they said you want to come along we're going to get you a minivan and you can shoot from the minivan while we're uh while we're on the Gumball you get to ride in the LC500 and uh so yeah, I went, flew out to Europe, met these guys in Latvia, and it was a, an insane week of uh, filming these crazy race cars driving through city streets and just meeting all these interesting people that were all part of it. And uh, about two days into the trip, uh, Larry Chin flew in to Poland, and I basically we basically shared hotel rooms the entire um, the entire trip. Uh, so that was a good time and a good bonding experience for Larry and I to get really close. We, we had definitely known each other through Formula Drift, but I would say we weren't really good friends until we shot the Gumball 3000 together. And uh, we've been buddies ever since. But that, that was an insane experience. The, the people that take part in the Gumball 3000 are, uh, are a little wild. You know, they, they drive all day. And they, they just don't stop. They, they get to their hotels and then they go party uh, the night after and until three in the morning. And then somehow they show up the next day at the start line at 8 a.m. And uh, it's just it was pretty amazing that people were, were putting themselves through that.
0: Yeah, I think the best way to say it is there's probably some colorful personalities driving those cars.
1: Yeah, for sure. It was a, it was definitely a lot of guys with lots of money and a little bit of skill. Um, one guy I found quite entertaining, he hired a chauffeur who basically wore a tuxedo the entire time and drove the guy around in a Rolls Royce. And by the end of the gumball, he had that car full of women that he had picked up in all different countries.
0: <laughs> Look, I guess whatever's so, going to work for you, right, at that point.
1: Yeah, and you know what he did at the very end? He jumped in a helicopter and just flew away. And later, see you, ladies.
0: <laughs> Never to be seen again.
1: Just left them there. Yep, just left them in Mykonos.
0: <laughs> I mean, I guess there's worse place to be left, right? though, than Mykonos.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was that was pretty amazing uh, country uh, to be in. Um, that was that was very nice. Larry and I got to stay for two or three days in Greece, and uh, we definitely enjoyed it.
0: and then from that then. So, I mean, what are you looking forward to for, for 2021? What have you got on the agenda so far?
1: Yeah. So, um, the first thing I'll actually be doing is uh, shooting with formula one, uh, coming up next week. Um, we're going to be going out to Bahrain, uh, which I've never been to before to shoot the preseason testing. And, uh, last year I got to go to Spain with them to shoot all the testing. And, um, that was, that was super fun. Got to meet all the drivers and it was very high stress, very intense, um, kind of situation. We were, we were shooting a lot in the uh, pit area in the garages. And so they basically were extremely, um, uh, weary of us pointing cameras in certain directions, you know, when the bodies of the cars were taken off, they, they would they would, you know, tell us and they turn off all the cameras, point the cameras in a different direction, no phones out, you know, and then the drivers would show up. And F1 had asked us to shoot these like hero shots of the drivers walking down the hallways into the pit. And it's like a, it's a very narrow hallway with like some kind of maze like left and right turns. And so I'd be walking backwards as fast as I could with my 20 pound gimbal with the Big red camera on it, trying to pull focus, and I had a producer behind me, like pulling me along. And the drivers were just like walking through, and uh, they didn't—they really didn't care. They just—they would just crash into you, you know, if you weren't walking fast enough. And a couple of times, like I like banged into the walls of the of the maze, and the drivers would laugh. Would laugh. I mean, it was a pretty a pretty good time, but um, it's it's so much fun doing all that. uh It is as stressful and high intensity as it is you kinda of just have to chill for a minute and, and think to yourself, you know, these are all normal guys for the most part. Um they're all they were all pretty cool. You kinda of get to know them a bit and and uh see what they're really like when they're around their pit. You know, they're they're pretty entertaining. And uh so this year I, I was kind of assuming that we were gonna do a lot more of that, but we're actually going to I'm I'm actually going to be partaking in uh shooting all of the hero shots in the studio. So when you see the intro for Formula One with the drivers doing all the, uh, like they look up at the camera and stuff. Sometimes we call it like the love scene because they're, they're with their like a teammate from F1 and they're, they're kind of all standing there. Yeah, they're standing there doing all the, uh, the serious face and like all that stuff. Um, so I'll be, I'll be shooting that uh, with one of the uh, main uh, shooters for F1 we will be doing two camera. And then probably the, the big, big thing um, that we'll be doing, I did, I did last year was what we call the flying V, which is all the drivers get in that V-shaped formation, and then we do like the slow uh, dolly back, revealing every single driver. So if you've watched F1, you've probably seen that shot. Um, we're all 20 drivers, were together, and I got to shoot that last year. Uh, basically came off my camera, so it was a pretty proud moment to see that. Um, on the Formula One race when I when I saw the first race when I got home uh, that was that was pretty cool um so we'll we'll be doing that again this year. All the drivers have to be six feet apart so what we're gonna do is we're just gonna stick uh, the race cars in between them so there's gonna be ten race cars on the start line uh, in a v shape with the drivers all in between the cars so that'll be really cool It'll be a whole new another uh, version of that kind of like up in the game I think
0: yep. And so, how'd that sort of come about then?
1: So, um, a good client of mine, Race Service, they're based in
0: LA. They
1: have been friends with Daniel Ricardo for a long time, and uh, Daniel kind of got us our our foot in the door with F1, and we actually went out there in 2019 and shot some video stuff with uh, the rapper ASAP Ferg. Um, from the ASAP mob. And he was super fun to be with just like fun loving guy. Uh, he, he pretty much got the full F1 experience. He got to be part of a pit stop that they did a practice pit stop and he got to uh, hang out with Kimi Raikkonen, which was, was pretty fun. Um, and so because of that job, race service pretty much built a relationship with formula one, um, through some of their marketing people. And that's when they decided to have us back to start shooting uh, some, some social stuff and some of the stuff for the TV show. Um, so I've been able to basically shoot all that because of race service. And they've, they've had me be a part of a lot of really cool projects um, with a lot of racing stuff. So um, yeah, it's, it's been awesome.
0: Yeah. I like the folks over at race service. They've been good guests in this podcast and also I'm missing their, Wednesday morning coffees I'm really looking forward to then they get to start that back up again
1: yeah yeah I've never gotten to go to one of those it looks like a lot of fun um being that I'm from Oregon I usually fly down there to shoot things and
0: sometimes I I, I don't
1: have a chance to get out but it looks like it's always a good time
0: yeah you'll be I was gonna say it's probably a bit of a longer commute than it is for me where I'm like just a couple miles up the road from them but uh yeah for you it's a few more miles I think for you to get to on a Wednesday yep yep definitely (laughs) And what about uh, Formula Drift? Are you going to be, got any plans to be working with them this year, or anything doing with them?
1: Yeah, so um, Formula Drift is definitely it's always a moving target for me. Um, I've worked for probably three or four different tire companies, which is probably the best client to have in Formula Drifts because you know they're they're spending the most amount of money, and they they usually have a, a big team of drivers. So there's a lot of things to shoot. Um, I worked for Falcon for a few years in the beginning when I kind of got my foot in the door with Formula Drift. Um, Justin Pollock is a good friend of mine. He pretty much hired me to film him for a year and that got my foot in the door with Falcon. And then from from then on, I just met a lot of people out there. And um, it's, it's funny because drivers will go from one team to another or f- from one tire to another and they introduce you to the the new tire company and, and kind of, uh, by working with Frederick Osbo, I was introduced to Nexen Tire, um, and guys like Danny George helped that along the way. Um, and so I kind of, I did, I did that for a few years. And, um, the thing is you, you never know, you, you wake up one morning and that tire sponsor decides they're not going to sponsor Formula D anymore. So then you start looking at like, what are some of my other options here. And I, I know a lot of the drivers on a personal level, but a lot, a lot of them want content and videos, but sometimes even having a few drivers together that you provide content for isn't really um, enough to profit off of to cover all the expenses of hotel and flights and, and rental cars, that type of thing. And so it really helps to have someone who uh, like title sponsors or something like that? Who got you know can write a big check and cover your expenses, whatever you need. So I've been working with Gum Out for a long time now for for three or four years. Um, they titled a uh, title sponsored Formula Drift as Black Magic. Uh, Black Magic and Gum Out are part of the same company under ITW Global. So. We shoot all kinds of stuff like RainX and Slime and Fast Orange, Permatex, all those things. And so uh, yep. drive, I've been able to been able to work with drivers like Dylan Hughes and Chris Forsberg and uh, Ryan Turk. So um, this year we're mainly just going to focus on Gum Out, which is Ryan Turk's title sponsor. And uh, so I'll probably be flying to four or five events at least this year um, to cover some stuff with Ryan. And I could probably do all eight, but, you know, after after shooting SD for about 10 years now, you kind of start, you start to get a little bit drained by the end of the season. You kind of think like, oh, I don't know if I want to do all eight of the rounds, you know, and then you show up at the first event and you smell the tire smoke and you get to see all your friends and the camaraderie and you're like, oh, this is so much fun. You know, I can't pass this up.
0: Of course, of course. And so, will you be doing anything else with them? Uh, or is that just going to be covering with the gum out and Ryan Turk?
1: Um, oh, yeah. So, uh, Formula Drift has actually been doing a uh, a new thing called Formula D Skills Battle. And it pretty much all came around because of the COVID pandemic. They wanted that, the season kind of got tremendously like put on the back burner last year. And they wanted to film something that would be able to show drifting for the fans, um, even though they weren't able to be there in person. So formula drift threw a, basically an exhibition at Irwindale, uh, called formula drift skills battle. And it was pretty much an invite, an open invite to anyone who, um, wanted to, who was a pro driver and wanted to partake. And so mainly it was all drivers that were local to LA and, um, I think we ended up with about 12, 12 or 14 drivers and they came out and it was pretty much like drift games um, where we had things like uh, drift as close to the wall as you can. We put a pool noodles that they were knocking down and then who could do like the best uh, 360 or who could do like the best initi- initiation. And then they mixed it up and they went over to the uh, drag racing uh, the, the eighth mile drag strip at Irwindale and we drag raced the formula drift cars on the drag strip, which was pretty entertaining. And Ryan Turk actually ended up winning last year, um, being under the Papadakis umbrella. Stefan Papadakis is a huge name in uh, drag racing. And he was able to give Turk the pointers he needed to, uh, to beat everyone pretty much off the line. So we're going to, we're going to do it again this year. Um It's going to be in a few weeks. Um Hopefully we'll see some new cars out there, but uh F- formula D is telling me they're going to have new games, bigger, better stuff. So uh, I'm definitely looking forward to that. It's usually a, a fun day where we get to, I get to hire a couple of extra filmmakers to help me out. You know, we'll have somebody to fly a drone. We'll have three or four other camera guys to, uh, to film the action. And, and I'll be with Lorette Nichol, who's the host of the show uh, to kind of drive things along. But, it ends up being like a 45 minute show after it's all said and done. I'll edit it up and everything. And I'll, I'll be doing the editing on that too. So kind of, kind of a fun thing to be part of.
0: Yeah. Looking forward to it. And and with that being the case, Lara, where's the best place for people to sort of track you down and find you online. If they want to follow you on the social media and things like that.
1: Um, yeah. I mean, I, I post quite a few things on Instagram um, under Lauren and HD handle. And I, I do have my own, YouTube channel with a lot of videos, some of the stuff um, that I film for clients, I I can't really post on my own channel. But um, you see a lot of a lot of things from gum out that I'm able to do and formula drift that I'm able to be a part of. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think Instagram is probably the best place to see some of the behind the scenes things, um, some of the stories and things like that. Uh, it's kind of fun. I can I can post things that are going on in my own life, my own car builds and that kind of thing, as well as the types of uh, racing that I'm normally filming and maybe get to see a little bit of my equipment, you know, that makes it all possible.
0: Yeah. Well, Lauren, it's been a real pleasure talking to you today. So, and thank you so much for making the time before you jet off to to work with probably the the biggest motorsport brand in the world, Formula One
1: yep yep that's right. thanks so much for having me i've I've never been on a podcast before so it's it's been a very entertaining experience. I'm glad I could be a part of it
0: Well noah look I mean now your podcast it can only go up from here that's what I'll say about that look I could be the base level and you can only go up that's where I think is where we start from but uh Lauren thanks again <laughs> for doing it and and uh tuning in and as everyone, thanks again for listening and uh we'll see you guys next time so thank you so much bye bye